I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Walter. My name is Walter, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here. I feel a little nervous, a little sad. I don't know why, but I do. Um, um, I thank God for my abstinence, and John, thank you for asking me to be here. Um, I have to explain the white flag. John told me to do that. Everywhere I speak, I bring that, uh, and it means a lot to me. The first time I saw that white flag in the context of a 12-step uh, meeting was in 1987. I'm also a recovered alcoholic and uh, a few other things that I'll get into. And it was a, uh, a men's stag downtown in a, in a little soup can uh, in a little white flag, nondescript thing. No one talked about it, you know, but I kind of got the idea of what it was about. And uh, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous since uh, either 90 or 91 after I quit smoking. I got uh, uh, reacquainted with my eating disorder. And um, in had good, decent abstinence from 91 to, uh, to 96, and then I relapsed. And uh, two years of hell. And when I, when I came out of that, the flag came back to me. It just came back in my mind. I don't know why that is. Uh, so now I have a white flag on my refrigerator. I have a white flag on my bureau. It's actually on the bookcase next to my bureau. And I have two, well, actually one in my trunk now and the other one here. And uh, what the white flag symbolizes is, is surrender, and that is in letting go and letting God. And it's a very, very powerful icon. And uh, uh, I've been further read that uh, icons and ritual go to places in the subconscious that words won't. And this is all about letting go, in my opinion. I mean, if this was about self-help, I would have just gotten the, the book that was in vogue at uh, Barnes & Noble and read that, and then why be here? You know, so... Uh, this meeting means a lot to me. I guess if, if to say uh, if I had a home group, this has probably become my home group. I'm not sure how old this meeting is, but I've been involved in it for quite a while, and, it, and it's meant an awful lot to me. I, I've been a, a big believer in um, listening to tapes for the longest time, and I, 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 uh, I like to, to share this story. Um, yeah, I had this thing in my head that uh, people that went to Ivy League schools probably wouldn't be alcoholic or addict, you know. And I didn't share this. I just didn't, I didn't, this was just in my head. And my sponsor at the time, and this is in 1987, he gave me a tape. I didn't even ask him for a tape. And it was from this guy, Sandy B., who is someone I've been listening to for over 20 years. And not only did he go to, a, a, you know, a top-notch Ivy League school, he was also a, a fighter pilot, a captain in the Marines. And I just was floored. I said, how could someone who functioned so high at such a high level, you know? And it was the beginning of learning that, that uh, this disease does not care whether you're from Yale or jail or, you know, whatever in between. And that was very good, uh, you know, for me. So I've been listening to uh, uh, tapes and, and CDs. It's, it's a large part of my uh, recovery. I also happen to be in outside sales. I drive about 40,000, 45,000 miles a year in Southern California. And if you need directions anywhere in Ventura County or L.A., just let me know. But I'm listening. I'm listening all the time. And I got to meet Sandy Beach finally. In fact, Leslie, who just walked in, told me uh, that he was coming to town. And what a blessing it was to meet him. Uh, he spoke here at the Brentwood Workshop and then up at uh, the Wednesday night uh, PG group. And he's a great speaker. And uh, I was really blessed to meet him for, you know, listening to him for 20 years and so it's important. And so this meeting just keeps that alive because 
you know, it's great to come to meetings four or five, six a week, but what do you do in between? You know, there's a lot of, or, or like seeing a therapist, see a therapist once a week. Well, you know, the disease, you stop eating, stop drinking, you get in touch with your mind. You know, I never knew I had a mind until I stopped doing these addictions, and man, did I find that I had a, not a great mind, but a very disturbed mind. And thank goodness <laughs> I found, I found the, um, you know, the, the uh, 12 steps. And also I want to share an experience. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a guy here, uh, Rocky, who I've known for years. And I hope this is appropriate to share. I'm just pay a little homage to, to Rocky that um, he's a hell of a man. You know, he was up here. He didn't even tell you what he's gone through. And quite an example for him to come here and, and just share. It. <sighs> he's also from my home state. And uh, what I got in touch with was uh, Connecticut was not a great place for me. I really lost there. Well, of all times to get in touch with emotions here. Bear with me. I'd never met anyone, as long as I've been in AA, who's been from my home state and drank in the same places I did and, and all that. And I had such great shame. And it just gave me uh, just great perspective on my life and just not being the same person that I was. And, uh, and I've connected with a guy from my hometown, and I, get, you know, I have a friendship with him, and I hope he's here for a long time. He's a great guy. So, anyway, and then also on the white flag, um, I paid homage to that a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and that was good. So there's a lot of stuff, you know. I, I just hope and pray those of you that are new just keep coming back because uh, the higher power is the great therapist. You know, it just is. It just is. God, I know. God knows I've tried a lot of things. So let me tell you what it was like talk about me. Um, I had a top weight of... Uh, 280 pounds and overeating anonymous. And before that, I was 269 and a half pounds. And that was in uh, 85. And I was in shock. I pulled a uh, geographic from Connecticut. And uh, I was in a lot of trouble. I was hopelessly addicted to alcohol, cocaine, and cigarettes. And when I got to that first rehab, my brother, my whole family had migrated out here. They'd come uh, via Chicago and uh, Seattle and San Francisco. And I used to come out here and visit. And... Um, I used to always weigh anywhere between 215 and 218, and if I got up to 230, somehow I'd get back to 215. And so when I saw myself at 269, I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and I vowed that that would never happen again. And not only did it happen again, it happened with three years of sobriety, and I got, I got, uh, I might have been bigger than 280 because I was a 44-inch waist at 269 and a half pounds, and, and I was about a 46. So, you know, who knows? Maybe I, I have the dubious distinction of having hit 300 pounds. I don't know. But I should back up further. And my first recollection of ever having any kind of a, it was a body distortion, and that was, um, I was a young boy back east, and uh, we had uh, one of those aunts who didn't have kids, and she used to take us shopping to Macy's and things like that in uh, New York City. And she, um, she bought me a pair of boxer shorts, and I didn't like that. I like my BBDs. I still do. And what that message was to me was, you're fat. And she did not say that. She did not say that. But that first voice I got in my head was, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat. And I cried and cried and cried. And... Um, you know, she didn't say that. And, you know, all I could figure was, that, you know, there's a lot of addictions in my family and um, uh, food and alcohol. And uh, my mom uh, didn't really, doesn't seem to care about being overweight. She used to just laugh about it, really. And my father, though, I think it bothered. So maybe emotionally it was transmitted to me. But even knowing that, you know, it didn't, it didn't solve the problem. 
And then the next big trauma I remember in my life was uh, being left back in uh, second grade. And I understand they don't do that now. Some of the teachers in the room uh, know that. They just don't do that. So my second uh, message to myself was I'm fat and I'm stupid. And before I say anything else, I think I've done far more damage to myself with my self-talk than I ever did with my substances. You know, it's just, it's just amazing. We get to get rid of the stuff. Find out I had a drink. You have a head like mine. <laughs> you know, I had to. And um, so, but I wasn't always, you know, I, you know, and also on the learning thing, I like to share this because it's important along the way. I needed to have a few gifts along the way, but I, I just struggled. Like I said, Connecticut was not a great experience for me. And uh, so I thought I was stupid, and my father had a lot of a problem with me learning to read, and, and so he would have me read these book reports. Uh, I have to read a, a book, and then I could go out. And so he had me read Robinson Crusoe or Tom Sawyer, and I'd give him a little report, and I'd get out, and I'd say, what a dumb piece of literature. I don't you know. I'd read it. But, but then in uh, high school, you know, I had this class, and I read this book called The Autobiography of Malcolm X, and I was on fire. I couldn't put it down. And I basically am a nonfiction reader. And then along the way, I, I was, uh, when I was being put down in lower grades, I uh, got with this uh, group of guys like me. We weren't good students, but we were like the best chess players in the school. These gifts, you know, that you have, and I just ignored. And, you know, and then I hit, a, hit puberty and, and all that, and I um, was just really interested in, in, in drinking and, and chasing girls and parties. And I just always assumed that, I would be a vice president of IBM, and the reason I say IBM because back east that was the big that was a big outfit in the area of the state that I was from. And uh, so I'm chugging along, and, and then my parents uh, send my brother and I to a, uh, a very strict uh, uh, Catholic school, Jesuit school, and commuted 35 miles each way. And uh, uh, they did that. My mom says they did that to keep us away from the drug and alcohol crowd in. Um, in Connecticut, and I wasn't on that campus two or three days, and I found the drug and alcohol. <laughs> a few things about teachers and Jesuits, you know, it's a very paradoxical world. And, uh, but it was a good place for me to go, but I was very intimidated. I didn't feel I belonged there, and I knew what good students were, but I had never seen students like these and guys that would, you know, had goals and went for it. I had one friend, I always like to share this, he said, uh, I'm going to be a political cartoonist when I grow up. And I didn't know what the hell that was. I was a political cartoonist. So I just shut my mouth. Well, he is a political cartoonist. But I had a big paper back east. So, And I never knew how to do that kind of thing. I do now as a result of, of the 12 steps you know, and, and recovery. And so I went to college. And uh, you know, basically, you know, I just chose a school down the road. And... Um, because I was going to, it's like the Cal State system, I was going to go to, to the University of the State, and, and I did, and I got, I got caught up in the fraternity, and I was a social chairman and um, treasurer, and that's a bad combination for someone of my addictions. <laughs> never got out of there, and somehow I got out of that school, and, uh, and instead of becoming an IBM for uh, Federal Express, for uh, IBM, uh, vice president for IBM, I became a courier for Federal Express to give you an idea where I was at. It was a good job. It was well-paying. gave me benefits. I was flying around the country for free. And, and what I saw, though, that just because I had a college degree, that didn't mean I was going to go anywhere. So I, I uh, at the time, you get two or three-hour lunches, and I got the Wall Street Journal, and I taught myself business, and I got into sales and started what I consider my professional life. And, you know, moving along, and I, you know, had a, I had a girlfriend. I was in a relationship for about seven years back there, but not, not a good one. And um, I was about 27, and the alcohol stopped working. And uh, then cocaine came in. And I'm really grateful for cocaine because 
that actually probably got me into recovery a lot faster had I just been uh, just an alcoholic. Uh, I'd probably still be sitting in a tavern back east. Back east, they call it, New Jersey anyway, they call the bars taverns. I might still be sitting back there on slow burn. And um, I, they, I, I won a big sales award, and they promoted me to um, a senior manager down at a, a facility they had in Stamford, Connecticut, and I was on one of my wagons again. And I was probably weighing about 215 pounds at the time. And uh, about three months into it, they had a Christmas party. The employees invited me to it, and uh, I just drank and lost control. And all my addictions came back in short order. And I got in a lot of trouble. I just got in a lot of trouble. And, and uh, my brother brought me out here for, for a rehab. And I was about 218 pounds when he brought me out to that rehab. And it was uh, a place called Narconon down by Western and uh, Olympic, I think it was. And it was not a high-end place, I can assure you. Uh, and I was interviewed by this counselor from Australia. And, you know, that little bro, he looks over and says, you're a little there pudgy there, aren't you? And I was, you know, I was really kind of offended. I, I thought, no, this is like fighting way for me. And uh, went back east, assuming that I would never uh, have those problems again. And I mention this because that was in 1984, and that was the worst year of my life with the, uh, with the addictions. And uh, I went from 218 to 269 and a half pounds, and I was going to places in Brooklyn uh, with, I like to say, a lower companion, but I was as low as that companion. And uh, scoring cocaine and just doing just copious amounts of drugs and alcohol. And then ending every night at McDonald's with four double quarter pounders with cheese and a couple of, of shakes. And, uh, you know, it was just horrible. And I swore, I, w- I swore every day I'd get up the next day and I said, this is just not going to happen again. And come 3 o'clock, that vouch out the window because, you know, the addiction, the disease just said, no, 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 we're gonna, you're going to feed me. There's no higher power in your life. We're going to go get fed tonight. And then off again, I couldn't stop. And so, you know, I cried for help and, and uh, um, you know, I had to give up that, that career. It was only a matter of time before they, were, you know, cause they hired me at 218 and I was up to 269 and a half pounds. They knew there was something wrong. Uh, very visible job. And um, I took a job out here. I got hired by a guy. They, these guys had started, started a company up in Hartford, actually out here, but they wanted me to go to Hartford. And I said, listen, if I'm going to leave a company, i got to come to California. And this is all a God shot. I mean, how I got out here. If they had seen me in person, they never would have taken me out here. And I got a job, and I just, that's when I got in my second rehab, and this time I'm in um, uh, Beverly Hills. Same thing. I know it's not, in, what's it called, an Arcanon? Up there by television, by C, not far from CBS. And uh, I met some lady in, in the thing. She kept telling me to go to this place called Friday Night Live. And I, guess, I think it was the Rodeo meeting. I think she was just putting that little spin, Friday Night Live, trying to get me interested. And all I wanted to do was lose weight because how big I was and I wanted a new girlfriend, you know, and I just knew I was in California. There's no way, you know, you're going to get it. That's, that's what I thought anyway. And it, it's, tr- it's true. I think it's true. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I get, kind of get my act together and I'm learning this new business and, uh, and I went on my first famous diet and I, and I was eating tuna fish mm-hmm. on a, no mayonnaise and a couple of pieces of whole wheat bread, Brussels sprouts, apple, and coffee and a lot of cigarettes, smoking three packs of Marlboro a day. And I went down to 184 and I met her. And she had a daughter and she lived in West Hollywood. And there was a Hollywood sign. And this was all like huge to me from Connecticut. And uh, so, wow, I'm really, you know, it's really happening. But I would like to drink. And I didn't drink like I used to because it's very tough to drink and drive out here in Los Angeles compared to Connecticut. I mean, just these freeways are walls of red and white. And I was just, I was just messed up. 
But anyway, I, didn't, I was not very nice to her. I'm not a nice drunk. You know, it's 50-50, and uh, she didn't like the way I spoke to her when I was drinking, and I can't say that I blame her, but that was it. I was sick of losing. And I got to, uh, through my chiropractor, I found Roxbury Men's Stag uh, in Beverly Hills. I had never thought of Beverly Hills as a place to recover from addictions, but that's Beverly Hills, you know, means a totally different thing to me today than it did before I got out here. And I started going to this uh, meeting, Roxbury, and, uh, but I was really there just to get her back, and I was in a hurry-up offense, and I was looking for, I had about 22 days, and I went out, but something happened to me that the alcohol was not working anymore. It just wasn't working, and that's not a good place for someone like me to be. And I keep, you know, and listen to that very closely. You keep coming back to these meetings. It will mess up whatever you're doing. It just will. And so I had to come back here, and I got on a retreat, and, um, and, and I was up on this retreat, like I, I was back a few days, and I'm on this retreat with like 50 guys, and I, I got really in touch with this disease, doesn't care whether you're from Yale or jail, and I have guys younger than me, older than me, and it was just amazing. And I must tell you, if I never got past Alcoholics Anonymous and I was still smoking cigarettes, I'm, let me tell you, I'm way ahead of the game. You know, what's going on for me in my life today is just bonus, bonus, bonus. Higher power is endless, because I had a lot more problems than alcohol, I can tell you that. And um, so I'm working the program, really involved, and I got involved with this, uh, you know, very, very uh, powerful sponsor, this guy Bob A., and he would just say things to me, planted seeds along the way. And he would say, Walter, don't do what you do. Do what the 12 and 12 says. You know, inside my head, I was really a liar. I would, he would always say to me, why don't you argue with me? And he said, you never, everyone else argues but you. Well, because I was a snake, you know, and I had, I had my own vast opinions I was going to hold on to. And he also said to me, he says, Walter, when you get serious for your life, you're going to need God. And I said, you know, for Christ's sakes, Bob, I'm sober. Aren't I serious about my life? He said, no, no, you're not. And so they planted these seeds. And this really came back to me after I had this relapse. So, and I learned a lot of things. Bob made, uh, he made God real to me. I was, I was, I was uh, you know, um, raised Catholic. I'm a better Catholic today as a result of the 12 steps. I was an altar boy. And the first thing I saw when I saw that third step, I said, nah, God, you know, this can't be for me. I was an altar boy. And God, I know I had special dispensation for being an altar boy. So I went to the Yellow Pages and I found a therapist. And I went and saw the, the first therapist I chose. And you know what she said to me? I couldn't believe it. She says, Walter, the only one who handles addiction is God. I was like, you have a master's. Why are you saying that? <laughs> so back to AA, I, I went. And I'm very grateful I heard that. And I, I, I believe in therapy, but first things first, I had to get sober. And I got good and sober. And then the next addiction uh, that I had to look at was uh, cigarettes, because I was smoking three packs of Marlboro a day. And, you know, it's the next indicated thing. When you get on the journey here of recovery, you, you're just going to get moving. It's just the way it is. That's in my experience looking back on it. And... Uh, so I tried to quit on my own, and this is where I really start getting into the food thing. I, I, I think, you know, well, I've got to lose 10 pounds. I've got to lose. And finally I said I surrendered, you know, and I wish I didn't. I don't know. Well, looking back on it, I guess it was the way to go. But I said, listen, you know, I guess I'm having this conversation with me, and I said, if I gain 1,000 pounds, I'm quitting smoking. So when I quit smoking, I was 195 pounds, and that was in August of 89 that I was liberated from cigarettes. And uh, I went from 195 pounds to, like I said, at least 280 pounds. And I'm going to tell you, that sucks. Three years of, of AA and to gain that kind of weight, and I was like, oh, you know, I got, a, I got a food problem. So I tried to work this in AA, and, and my sponsor, um, 
Bob, who, who would just, he'd send me the Nutrisystems, and, you know, I'd go there, and on the scale, they weren't asking, are you lonely, Walter, are you sad, are you this, you know, no, it was just a plan, and I would take stuff off, and, you know, my father died, and put some back, and, you know, it just like a yo-yo thing, and where I bottomed out finally with, with trying it through AA was um, when Bob said, just quit pigging out, and when he said that, a light went off, and I said, you know what, I had heard about other 12-step programs. So I started looking, and I went to the OA men's uh, stag in uh, Darby Street, and there was no scale in the corner, and they were talking words like boundaries. I had never, what's a boundary? I mean, I thought a boundary was like between Canada and, and the U.S., <laughs> you know, moderate meals. And, and, and they said three meals a day and nothing in between, and I heard people talking about feelings, you know, and hang-ups, and, uh, you know, I had a, a friend back east, and I always, he was, you know, Bill, he was a football player, and he's, I liked his build. I always, want, I always wanted to be someone other than who I was. You know, and he had a beer belly, and I wanted that. And you know what I got was beer ass and beer legs. That's what I got. You know, I just was not very manly, and that's just how I was. And also when I had a head full of, head full of booze, I thought I had an ass like Joe Namath, and I did not have an ass like Joe Namath. And I got to share this stuff. I got to share this stuff in a way, and that's very healing. I, you know, I'm not, there's like, oh, most of us, 60% of women, I would never share that. I could never have imagined that coming out of my mouth. But now, what sets me free? We're human beings, you know what I mean? Hey, you know, as we say in AA, after me, you come first. And I know this is what, this is what saves my life, you know, sharing this stuff. So the weight started coming off, and I learned about a food inventory, and that was very important. And I learned about trigger foods, and that was a very important. Words are very important, trigger. I knew what a trigger was with a Heineken. I, trigger with a, I want a Heineken. Lights out. I'm gone. It's a case. The Marlboros are back, and so is cocaine. All night evening. That's a trigger. That's a hell of a trigger. The same thing with haagen ice cream. I might sit out there in a restaurant with you and have a little cup of haagen ice cream, but you just follow me. <laughs> I'm going to 7-Eleven, and it's going to become a pint, and I might throw four double quarter pounders. Just That's where I go. I am a high-fat, high-quantity eater. That's what I am. And so the weight got down. I got down to about 205, and that was in 92. 92, 93. I wasn't. I, I came into AA, into OA with a lot of AA arrogance, and through bitter experience, I, I, I practiced multiple, uh, several 12-step programs. Been through a lot, but, but focused on on just three now. And I had to learn painfully that the credits are not transferable from these programs. And that is not my line. That is something I heard from someone else. But it's really true. It's best to come into these programs with beginner mind. And I quarreled with people standing up and qualifying as a sponsor. I quarreled with the tools. You know, I kept saying, well, an AA, well, this is an AA, Walter. Did AA help you with, its, with, the, with your eating? No, they didn't. And they don't care, and they're not supposed to. And so the weight came off, and I got down to 205, and I'm feeling pretty damn good. You know, I'm off cigarettes. I'm sober now, five, about five, six years. And I went back east, and I could do some amends. And I uh, went to my high school reunion, 20-year high school reunion in 1993, something I never thought I would do. You know, and guys were making comments. You know, well, you're in better shape than you were in high school. You know, and doing a lot of stuff. And I liked to hike and got real involved. And uh, But you know what? I failed to enlarge in my spiritual condition. And... I had to go through what I had to go through. I can just say this. Thank God I didn't go out and get drunk, you know. But I, I, I had to learn what re- untreated resentments are like, untreated jealousy is like as a sober man. Um, and then I started living vicariously. You know, I'd come into an OA meeting, get my speaker on, and then leave. 
I'd go to Vegas. You know, I was just getting further and further away. And my real dependence was on money and, you know, these fantasies of just, just being, you know. Like one time I, I, wanted to, I really wanted to remember saying this. Back east, way back when I was selling for, Fe, for FedEx, I said to a lady, a customer, I had her at Windows of the World at uh, the World Trade Center. And I said, you know, I want to, I just out of the blue, you know, we're real BSers when we're drunk, but just hear me out on this one. I said, I want to move to California and become real rich and real spiritual. <laughs> now, I didn't become real rich, but I'm going to tell you right now, I am a Jesuit compared to what I was like before I got into recovery or some spiritual thing, you know, far from it in reality, but compared to what I was. And, and so the weight was, I went from 205 to 208, maybe 210, but I was still, hey, I wasn't 280. And uh, things weren't going well at this one job. I, you know, there was just some stuff going on. I don't have a lot of time to get into that. And I bottomed out, and I, and I, uh, I actually started to medicate. On, uh, I started, went to this jack-in-the-box down here on Lincoln Street. I'll never forget it. My uncle lives down there, and I used to go to a lot of Laker and Clipper games at that time. And uh, one milkshake became three, and I started isolating from certain meetings. And I don't know what I went back up to, but my car kept getting smaller, and I kept getting bigger. <laughs> the best way to describe it, I probably got back up to about 250, 260. And, uh, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And uh, I got out of that job, and I got into a, just the same job I've been with since, just a sweetheart of a company that has just not a lot of pressure on me. My focus is program first. And... Um, Got a sponsor. Never had a never had a sponsor. The sponsor is a double winner. I'm not working with him anymore, but he was a, he was a uh, he's still around. Double winner helped me a lot. And uh, I started biggest thing that I started doing. I never thought I'd do is emailing my food in. And also, there's a lot of funny quirks, and I like to share this because you know, in, in alcohol, it's put the plug in the jug. But food, it's it's all we, we are all different shades of gray in here. We really, you know, just really. And the way I got off my sugar, sugar was a real thing that I had slipped on. And I was thinking about how I got myself off that. And I started, and this would be back in, in early 99, and I started drinking copious amounts of diet soda, diet Pepsi in the Big Gulf. You remember, I think they're 24 ounces. And I was, I'm telling you, I'm drinking about six or seven or eight of them a day. And then I had headaches because of all the caffeine. So I'm eating Tylenol. But you know what? It was like methadone. I was switching one thing bad, but it was better than the ice cream. And I just slowly... My abstinence has got cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. It's still evolving. You know, it just is. And I, um, basically I use gray sheet today, uh, three meals a day. For the most part, nothing in between. But today I felt like having I had a half a cantaloupe at Dolores's, which is totally fine for me. And it just, it just got cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. And I just like to say that because, you know, the only one who has perfect abstinence out there are statues. And that's, that's, a, line, that's, a, that's a line from Ken G., uh, you know, you know, from, out in the valley. It's a great line, and, and, and we're really hard on ourselves. And if anyone is claiming perfect abstinence, well, they may have perfect abstinence, but they're probably acting out in other areas. And it's just best, really, uh, what I had to learn, too, is keep the focus on myself. And so some of these things that I quarreled with my sponsor, Bob, about when I got back in, I didn't quarrel anymore. And people would ask me, what's your goal? What's your goal? You know, people, you know how we start losing weight, and you, you know, and I said, I, you know what, I have no goal. My only goal is really is the 12 and 12, and I meant it. I, I'm telling you, I meant it. And, um, and you know, my father always said uh, Gregory men should weigh 200 pounds. I never questioned that, but that was a standard for me. And um, uh, I don't weigh 200 pounds. I weighed in this morning at 175 and a half pounds on the dial scale. 
and to the scale next to that, the one with the slides and the weights, whatever you call that, 176 to 177. And I've basically been at this weight for over eight years. Now, if you said to me, how would you like to weigh that, Walter? I would say, well, if I was born again, had the different parents, and went to, play, you know, was on the track team, uh, you know, that could happen. You know, but no. That's, that's, see, that's an old idea. That's me playing God. You know, that's me with a lot of, lot of talk. And uh, I surrendered, and I just started eating correctly, calling my food in, humbled myself, I shut my big mouth, and I was a newcomer. You know, and I and I just something started happening, and then I went to a retreat, and I'm involved, still in, involved in two retreats a year. I was involved with three, but now just two. Um, and you know, it just it was just it was just you know, mind blowing. Now I could also I wish I had time to tell you what's I I'm a low back sufferer, and I can I mean really bad, and uh, this is an important part of my story. Um, you know, I was at Wits End probably about. That's about eight years ago, maybe seven years. I, I lose track of time. And I said, God, have I done everything I can? I, I just, I might as well go get surgery. I didn't want to get that because I met an orthopedic one time. And he wanted me to have surgery. And he, he said, I said, do you guarantee it? He says, well, about 90%. And I, I said, Doc, you can't afford an enemy. I'm going to tell you right now. Because I know once you go under the knife, that's a pretty permanent decision. So I prayed. And, and all of a sudden, God, uh, or this answer I got from my higher power was yoga. And I was like, Yoga? Give me a break. I want to play <laughs> basketball or something, you know, the, you know the macho, the macho. I took the yoga like a duck takes the water. You know, I practice yoga four or five times a week, you know, and that helps me. And, and I don't tell you that, you know, I mean, we all have different exercises. Part of that has really helped heal my back and then some. You know, plus I have some. And I also didn't just self-diagnose. I, I, I saw a, a neurosurgeon. He took a picture on the MRI. And he says, uh, I, I totally support yoga, Walter. You know, give it a shot. We could help you, but you'll probably be back in three years. Very honest, honest man, you know. And uh, if I wasn't abstinent, you know, and had the open mind, I wouldn't have heard that, you know. I, I wouldn't have heard that. Now, I'm not completely out of the woods, but I, I, I used to miss work. Like, it just seemed every, every month I'd miss a day or so, you know. So that's the healing that goes on here is just beyond my wildest. And so, you know, I'm very active. OA is number one. AA I'm still, still very involved in, but uh, this, this really had to take center stage because long before that first drink, you know, I've, I've really been troubled with my eating. And I'm pretty comfortable, you know, in my body. I'm okay with my body. It takes a long time for the mind to heal. Uh, I've learned in yoga, funniest place that I ever learned, no one has a perfect body. This, this dream of chasing the perfect body is a bunch of BS. What the key is is to take care of the body, you know, to do to, for me, is to take care of my body, to stay out of results. You know, I'm in the efforts business. You know, I'm in the efforts business. When I get in results, I get messed up. I get really messed up because I, 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 just, I just start getting really greedy and aggressive and demanding. But when I let go, I let God, I mean, I just, I just have a recovery that's, you know, beyond my wildest you know, I think I'm kind of running out of, out, of, out of things to say. Not that I don't, but I'm just in one of those spaces between my mind. So I think I'd like to, uh, to open this up to questions, if anyone has questions. What's Gray Sheet? A Gray Sheet is a, um, a food plan that you can get on the... Um, uh, Pamphlets. I don't know if you have it here. Do you have Dignity of Choice here? Mm -hmm. 
and it tells you uh, foods that are appropriate to eat and quantities. I guess you call it a basic <laughs> food plan. When you got into yoga, was there a period of a lot of pain or a lot of adjustment for helping? Uh, yeah, when I got into the question, I should, I'm supposed to repeat. When I got into yoga, yeah, there was. I started in a senior center. That's how intimidated I was, and there was a lot of. I was really afraid, really afraid. But I trusted this this woman, Linda. I don't practice as much as her, at her studio anymore, but she really knows her stuff. And you know, if you get into this and you, they ask you for your aches and pains, tell them because they know what they're talking about. And uh, she got me to a place where you know. I remember her the day she came up to me and said, Walter, when did you start grab, touching your toes? You know, and that was, to her, was huge. That's, that's how tight I was. But, you know, I've, I, I, I do a lot. You know, I don't want to get it. It's really not appropriate for me to go, go in great detail here, but I do a lot of stuff there that I never thought I could do, one day at a time. Mickey? Walter, could you talk a little bit about what you do for your step lab? Yes. It's my question. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> What I do about step 11, and that's a good question. That happened probably about five, six years ago. I, I knew I needed to get involved with meditation. And um, what, I, what happens is there's a, we, we do this on a men's retreat that happens every summer. We write a letter to God of what we'd like to see happen uh, the next year for us. And it's a very, very powerful exercise. You, know, you put things down on paper. It's amazing what comes back, and I put down, you know, whatever the other stuff, but I asked, I said, God, I need a, a meditation practice because I can't do it on my own. And um, about two months later, now you don't tell anyone what's in this letter, and my friend Stan said, you know, Walter, out in Rosemead, there's a, a Buddhist temple, and they have free meditation every Wednesday. So I went there, and I sat there every Wednesday from like 7 to 9, and I learned to meditate, and I learned a lot about uh, Buddhism. But the main thing that I learned was to sit and let everybody's mind goes into fantasy or goes in and out of being present. You just come back to the breath. So I learned that I could sit. Um, where I had a departure there, I learned a lot of good things there, but uh, I, I really need, uh, through my own experience, I just know that there's a higher power. I can't tell you. Yeah, I can't prove that to you. I really can't prove That's a personal thing. But for me, I know that there's a higher power only because of what's happened in my life. So I needed to stay around a higher power-oriented you know, program. I just do, or I get lost. If I don't have a higher power, I know I'll go back to the known way. So what I do now is I, I read pages 80, 86 through 80, uh, I think it's 86 through 88, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a crucial piece, piece of literature. Those of you that don't know, get the big book. If I don't say anything else, this is the owner's manual for all addictions. God started with the alcoholics and then started working his way up. Gamblers, drug addicts, food people, everything. This thing really, really works and tells you how to meditate, tells you what to do, how to start, asking God to help you think and act. And then I do, I set my timer when I have time. I'm not like Rocky, you know, when I say I, I don't have time, he'll, he'll double his meditation. Uh, I set it for 10 or 15 minutes and I say a mantra uh, to myself over and over and over again. That's, that's just what I do. And I, and I try to do that at least in the morning. And if I, you know, sometimes I get home in the evening, I just don't want to do it because I, I have, I really have a full day between work and meetings and, and just things that I do, um, and that pays big dividend. I'm not, uh, I'm not the most consistent with meditation. I probably hit it three or four times a week. I'm real good with prayer, and quite frankly, I like to share this too, where because I, you know, higher power knows I need help. Step eleven, you know, I've been around for a long time, but I'm not so sure. 
that I want to know God's, you know, knowledge of his will for me. I know always get better results, but, you know, I, I kind of think now that I'm, you know, doing a lot better that I'd like to try a few of my plans. So sometimes I wrestle with that still, you know, with, with, with really asking God. And I, and I like to admit that. I, I, really need, I really need that help. I still have. I still sometimes am shooting angles and thinking that I've got a plan. Uh, what part of Connecticut? What part of Connecticut from uh, New Fairfield, which is right above Danbury on the New York State uh, border, probably about 84 miles northeast of New York City and about 35 miles due north of Bridgeport. Um, have you ever still deal with uh, guilt about your eating, body obsession, uh, self-deprecating thoughts? That's okay. Uh, do I still deal with? Um, can I just summarize and say, do I still deal with my critical voices of my head? Yeah, that's a good question because yeah, that's what I what I mentioned earlier. I, I'm, I'm very hard on myself. Uh, in fact, I didn't say this earlier, but but uh, sometimes I'll still say this, and I, you know, there's no minors in the room, and apologize for cursing, but I want to give you an idea of how dark my head can be, and and I, it's very. It's, sometimes I will slip and say, you know, you fat fuck, you fucked up. You know, and what I have to do is I have to go to my higher power. And that's what 10th steps are about, taking a daily 10th step and talking to people about that, you know, exposing the critic. And I don't know what that's about, but it's there, you know, and that is, that is the surrender. And that has to be identified because left untreated, that becomes painful. And I might act out against you or I might, I might take excess food to deal with the pain. But the steps will handle all of that. First, you get through the food. You could even work the steps on that. You know, I am powerless over my destructive thoughts toward myself, toward others. I've also learned that, you know, I, I, I'm, I can be quite judgmental, and I found that really when I'm judging you, I'm really, it's really about me. There's something about me I'm seeing in you that's really in me that I haven't dealt with. But that is the crux of the disease, I believe, is the self-talk, what we're saying to ourselves about ourselves. And I believe only God, only, only the higher power can heal that, but it needs to be talked about written about, get us work with your sponsor, and be really patient. Um, I had a question about your relationship with the scale. How could you get on, and how do you, um, when you get on it, and you see that great low number, how do you prevent yourself from going to old behaviors now that you're where you want to be? Yeah. Um, my relationship to the, to the scale, what's that? The question is, what my relationship is to the scale, and what I do with a, um, with a good number. Uh, and, and that's a really good question because um, um, the arch enemy of recovery is the ego. Ego has marvelous recuperative powers. And there's another great piece of literature in this program called AA Comes of Age. And in there is Dr. Harry Tebow, who was an early observer of AA. And he said, why are these alcoholics getting sober through this group of people just having meetings where you know, the men of science couldn't handle it. He observed what happens is that we have to have ego reduction, not extinguish. So I'm the type of person who definitely, I can't handle good news. I can't handle bad news. And it depends on the type of good news. I go into another thing that I suffer from is fantasy. Ooh, do I like to get grandiose. You know, I really can run it up there, you know. And uh, it's, I don't have, you know, that, that's also what I was saying before when people would ask me my goal or they would give strokes. And I get a lot of strokes. I got a really a powerful stroke last Saturday at a lecture. 
And you know, the good I've had a really powerful lecture out of left field, and I guess it's appropriate to share about that. And I thanked the person. I was very surprised. But I did not see a white picket fence. I did not see me building a swing set in the back. <laughs> I did not need to go to 7-Eleven for celebratory uh, peanut butter cups. I got in the car and I listened to Harlan on my, on my CD player, got home and I emailed my food in because I just know food is just not an answer for me. You know, it just isn't. And it just, it's just taken me time to get there. But it was through that bottom that I hit that I got it. You know, good news, bad news. I, I have to watch any extremes. You know, did I answer your question? Good. Hi, thank you for your share. I'm about a week, a week and a half into the program, and I was in, you know, I was in the program at the beginning of the year and had to go to a treatment center. Um, and listening to you talk, you had mentioned that um, you were in a job that was an, in, that was supposed to be an, sounded like an unhealthy environment for you. Yes. And you made a transition. Could you? Yeah, great question. Because there's, there's uh, the um, the question is that I was I was how did I handle the tough job situation? And I was in a uh, a company that was very very successful, but very smash mouth, and it was uh, uh, peppered with men that were completely opposite from me. These were uh, high caliber athletes. These were these were guys. Some guys a bit pro athletes. Just one of those cultures. Certain companies were like that. And uh, one of the guys referred to me as a fat ass. I was not accepted, you know, in that group. You know, but what kept me there was the money. I was just making a lot of money, you know, and I, and I just, just stayed there. And, you know, I also always wanted to play with the big boys, if you will. You know, I just did. And it just wasn't meant to be. I mean, my addictions prevented that, you know. So what I did was I hit a bottom, and I realized that... that um, I had to get out of there, and I'm not making, uh, I'm, I mean, it's, you know, I'm doing really fine with the money, and now I was able to focus on, on my body and a level of fitness that I guess to be petty, I'd like some of those guys to see what I look like now, because <laughs> quite frankly, I know a lot of them don't, they just don't. I am more fierce today in terms, I mean, I just, and it's not, it's an imbalance, but I mean, I, I, I hike mountains. I, I do. I was on Mount Baldy uh, Labor Day weekend. You know, guys a lot younger than me, and I'm, they call me a billy goat, man. I just, you know, it's not a competition. This is just where my body's gone. So, you know, I wanted to hang in there with the money. I wanted to be accepted by those guys and all that stuff, all that old ideas. And when I let go and let God, I was, I was brought to the right place. I'm in, a, in an environment that's very, very supportive. Uh, to my recovery, and uh, that's most important to me. You know, what, what's going to happen with me? I'm not that. Am I really the, the craziest about what I do for a living? No, but my needs are met. You know, and we'll just see. A turn. That's another thing. I turn over to God. You know, if it's time for me to move on, I would just say trust is it, just to trust and really dwell. Work the steps, but dwell on three. If you have the AA 12 and 12, and dwell on three, and, and especially the third step prayer to, to emphasis. Uh, Relieve me of the bondage of self. This really is, you know, if I say anything, nothing else, uh, you know, this is a God help program, you know, period, end of story. And there's something here I found, some notes I took from, it, from a meeting a while back, and something the speaker said, I choose not to contaminate my body. I choose not to live in, in a fog. 
Well, I do choose those things, but with, with conscious contact, I have a much better shot of living that. Thank you very much for letting me share.